Open up your Bibles to the book of Hosea. It's an Old Testament book. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere around you. Uh, I believe in the Pew Bibles, Hosea can be found on page 751. Um, And as you're turning there, I just want to give you a a quick plug for something that's coming up pretty soon. Um, For those of you that have been tracking with us for some time and you're uh, wondering a little bit more about what we're about as a church and ways to get plugged in, ways to get connected. Um, we're going to have a Connection Sunday on September the 13th, and that's going to be uh, an opportunity for you to meet the leaders of the church, kind of to hear uh, a little of the vision and values and the ways that um, we feel like God has called us to uh, reach our city. So if uh, you're interested in that, we would love to have you stop by for that. That'll be a way for you really to um, experience life with us as a church. I mean, there's so many wonderful things about this context where we get to come together and hear God's word and sing God's word back to one another and encourage one another. But really on a day-to-day basis, I mean, we believe that the gospel impacts all of life. And the best way to do that is to track with a gospel community. So uh, we'd love for you to be able to meet some of the gospel community leaders and get plugged in there. So um, if you are interested in that, that will be Uh, Sunday, September the 13th. All right, as we uh, look at the the book of Hosea, this is a a book that I love. This is a book that uh, God has been kind of working in my heart for uh, a long time now, and I'm excited for us to be able to uh, spend some time in this book together as a church and to set our time this morning. I want you to think about, you don't have to answer out loud, but what would you say is the greatest love story that you've ever heard? What is uh, the greatest, most typified couple that you could think of maybe throughout history? It could be real or or it could be imagined. Um, I did a little poking around on the internet this week and there is absolutely no consensus on who the greatest couple or the greatest love story of all time, but I thought I would share a few of my favorites with you. Um, the, the, the responses kind of went from uh, those in history, like, um, let's see, Napoleon and Josephine to um, Bonnie and Clyde. There also were couples from literature. There were uh, Romeo and Juliet. And I remember like reading this story in high school and it making absolutely no sense. But now that I have a teenager, it actually begins to make a lot of sense, right? So, I mean, yeah, that's a story of impulsive lovers. Um, my absolute favorite couple from literature is Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice is my favorite literary character. I mean, if I could trade places with one person, it would probably be him. Um, There are couples from TV. From my generation, there is uh, George and Wheezy from the Jeffersons. So if you're older than me, you can just look it up. Uh, Mork and Mindy, Joni and Chachi. Famous movie couples, Rocky and Adrian, right? That's near the top. Wesley and Buttercup from The Princess Bride. Yeah, wonderful Danny and Sandy from Greece, and any of the 287 movies starring Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. So those are all on there. Um, Everyone has their own ideas of what makes a great love story. There's different criteria. 
the couple that we're going to look at this morning did not make the list, but probably should be under some serious consideration. The love story of Hosea and Gomer is an amazing love story, but it also is very powerful because in this love story, we see ourselves. We see the best of us. We see the worst of us. And as we look at the story of Hosea and Gomer, we're going to see um, and come face to face with the love of God that meets us at our worst. So the story of Hosea and Gomer has something to say to every person in this room. Um, If you're here this morning and you feel spiritually stuck, I mean, if you feel like you're kind of just going through the motions, Hosea has something to say to you. Um, If you're here this morning and you don't seem to be able to break free from certain patterns of sin that exist in your life, the book of Hosea has something to say to you. If you are here and you struggle to experience the love of God, the book of Hosea has something to say to you. I was thinking about this. Our mission as a church and our everyday discipleship of people would be incomplete in God's sight apart from the story of Hosea and Gomer. It has something to say about all of our lives. You may not even consider yourself to be a Christian here this morning. Hosea has something to say to you in case you have bought into the lie that Christianity is just a book of rules and formal religion. You're going to see a love story from God on full display. So Hosea has something to say to us all. And we're going to begin by looking at Hosea chapter 1. So if you are able, would you stand with me as we read the first three verses of the book of Hosea? Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom. And have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that somehow by the power of your spirit that you would be especially present with us to reveal your love to us in fresh and powerful and liberating ways this morning. Um, I pray that there would not be a person in this room that would not personally and tangibly experience your love. I pray that you would be present to eliminate fear here this morning, that we would throw off all of the things that cling so closely to us, and that we would run to the feet of Jesus where we find mercy and help in our time of need. 
Father, to do that, I need your help. I need your help to proclaim this word. You know how weak I am apart from you. I ask you now to fill me with the power of the Spirit to serve this church that I love so much. It's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. So Hosea, you can tell just from the first three verses, um, this isn't your typical church story. Um, I'm pretty convinced there's probably not a felt board in America that has this story playing out in Sunday school classes. Um, But this story has something very specific to say to us. I mean, it is, um, if you're familiar with the story at all, it is a shocking story. I mean, the word of the Lord, like Hosea is a prophet. He is set apart for God. He's listening to God. And the message that he first hears is, Hey, I want you to go and to marry a prostitute and I want you to have children with her because that's what it's like to have a relationship with my people. So from the outset, I mean, it is a a confrontation with the unrecognizable grace of God and the ways that it comes to us. And it is vividly illustrated in the marriage between Gomer and Hosea. So Chapter 1, like any great book, brings us right into the tension of the story. So chapter 1 is written from the perspective of Hosea. He's receiving the word of the Lord. And so what chapter 1 invites us to do is to walk a mile in Hosea's shoes. To begin to see the things the way that he sees them. To experience them the way that he experiences them. Because ultimately, Hosea's experience is God's experience. And he wants us to identify with him. And so we want to walk a mile in Hosea's shoes this morning. And um, this story, I mean, at first it may seem a little distant to us. I mean... But the thing that I want to encourage us with from the beginning is that the human heart has never changed, right? I mean, there's a way that we can distance ourselves from Scripture and think, well, I mean, that's an ancient book. And they were kind of going through some things that were different than the things that we face each and every day. But the truth of the matter is that the human heart has never changed. And the good news on top of that is not only has the, the human heart not ever changed, but the things that change them, the things that reach them will actually reach us. And so we want to pay close attention because God has given this to us as a picture of himself in a picture of his love. So we learn from the first verse the, that this book was written by Hosea, the son of Beri. We don't know a lot about Hosea personally, um, but we can learn from this list of kings that are in verse 1 that he was um, writing about 750 years before Jesus came on the scene. So that would make him a contemporary of Isaiah that we've been studying in the past. Um, and the reason that, that I picked this book in particular is because the things that they are going through are very much the things that we go through each and every day. The, the culture in ancient Israel at this point in time was unparalleled in its affluence. It was uh, a nation that was experiencing political peace, um, material prosperity. And as Michael Bennett says in his book, The Gospel According to Hosea, affluence, however, is seldom 
friendly to the gospel. So if you have lived in the United States of America at any point in time, you will realize that affluence brings its own set of problems. Affluence has this tendency to blind us to things that are really matter. And that's exactly what the people in ancient Israel are going through. And that's exactly what we go through each and every day. Um, And as you drill down into their affluent lives, what you would see is that they had this shell of religious formalism. Like they they still wanted to kind of hold on to religion in one hand, right? They, They wanted to kind of have all of the benefits of being the people of God. But they also, at the same time, their hearts were far from him. Because these were a group of people much like us. Their hearts were empty. Their hearts were searching. Their hearts were looking for something to be satisfied. And because that they were always looking and always searching, they began to mix their worship of the one true God with Baal, who would have been the rain or the storm God. Do you ever know why that the people of Israel are always falling into worshiping Baal? Baal Baal is the one that promised prosperity. He's the one that promised material stability, right? Very much like our own culture. But as they began to kind of fall into this idolatry, like their hearts began to be further revealed, it kind of opened a Pandora's box. So um, you basically had this situation happen. Like there'd be a priest over here. He'd be reading the book of Moses, you know, maybe the Ten Commandments. And then over here in their worship practices, there were people having sex with prostitutes. Like that's how convoluted the worship of the people of God had become. They had made sex their God and they were worshiping with their sex. So their hearts were empty and their lives were full just like us. And it's into that context God gives us a love story where he is communicating from the outset that he wants all of us. He wants all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, all of our passion. The human heart has never changed, but the good news is the love of God has never changed. So, I mean, you can imagine as we try to walk a mile in the prophet Hosea's shoes. Um, Like, I don't care how many times you've seen Pretty Woman, right? I mean, this is not something like at prophet school, like you're going to put your name down on the list and say, yeah, like this is a call that, that I was expecting to get from God. This is a unique call. Hosea's life would be God's message. He was going to live out in his everyday life the love of God, God's commitment to his people. And so we want to pay very close attention to what his life communicates. I mean, from the outset, I mean, you can just imagine, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't know how it goes down as a prophet, you know, in the Old Testament, but I mean, you have to at least on some level think that he had questions. He's like, I want you to go and to marry a prostitute. He's probably, you know, checking the earlobes a little bit to see, like, is this really what God is saying to me? Right? And, and I think it's important for us because oftentimes that's what it's like to follow God. Right? I mean, he doesn't give him the whole picture. He just says, 
I want you to go and marry a prostitute and I want you to start a family with her, period. Open-ended statement. There's no promise of how this is going to turn out. So yeah, oftentimes, like in our own lives, I mean, we hear things from God and it takes real faith to begin to walk those things out. But what we're going to see in the life of Hosea and what we experience in our everyday lives is that the God that calls us is the God that's faithful to sustain that call. That's what we see in the life of Hosea. But I can imagine for Hosea, he would have had some picture in his mind that his love would somehow affect Gomer, right? I mean, he probably, much like any man that's going to get married, he had some vision of what marriage is going to be like. You know, I don't know if it was, you know, a white picket fence and 2.5 children, but he had some idea of what this was going to be like. He had some vision because God is faithful that this is going to turn out okay. And so I'm sure that that's the thought that captivated him as he began to pursue a relationship with Gomer. Now, I'm sure as Hosea was trying to woo and win the heart of Gomer that she was taken back, like, why in the world would this prophet, this man of God, Come looking for me. Why would he be showering affection on me? And this is where, this is, this is really important point. Like, God called Hosea, but Hosea chose Gomer, right? God didn't say, I want you to go marry Gomer. God said, I want you to go marry a prostitute. So, what that says to us is, Hosea chose Gomer. Hosea deeply loved Gomer. And so you can imagine the relationship developing, Hosea declaring his love for this prostitute. You can imagine that they would have the the same kind of life that any newlywed couple would have. I mean, they would have conflicts and they would burn dinner and they would have friends over. And you could know that everything was going well for a period of time, right? They were a group of they were a couple that were experiencing real grace in their marriage. I mean, you can imagine what it would have been like for Hosea to have Gomer whisper in his ear saying, guess what? I'm pregnant. Right. Good news comes to the household of Hosea and Gomer. And it's about at that particular point that the wheels start to fall off. At the news of their first child, the word of the Lord comes once again to Hosea. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So, basically, in the Hebrew culture, names carried a meaning. Right. This God says, I want you to name your son Jezreel. And he said, basically, I'm going to punish you for all the political maneuvering that you thought would bring you peace. Right. The judgment is now coming to the house 
of Israel. So you can imagine Hosea as he's in love with Gomer, experiencing life in his marriage, but then simultaneously being a prophet, hearing the word of the Lord, that judgment is coming to the people that he loves the most, right? This is the story of Hosea, but it only gets worse from there. It goes from bad to worse. Just like us, Gomer cannot break free from her devastating lifestyle. She goes back to her life as a prostitute. We learn that from the text. It says that Jezreel was Gomer and Hosea's son. But then there are two more children that are named that have nothing to do with Hosea. They had a daughter that is called No Mercy They had another son that God said, call not my people. So this is a building indictment of the people of God. So you can imagine what it's like for Hosea to walk through life, to have sleepless nights, to have Gomer gone, hoping, wandering, praying that somehow by the grace of God that she would come home. Right? This isn't... This isn't a metaphor. I mean, this is a man that is taking care of a woman whose children don't belong to him, right? God wants us to feel something of what that would be like. Something of the forsakenness. Something of the pain and the heartbreak. God is saying that's exactly what it's like to have a relationship with my children. And this is where the love of God begins to break in. We begin to see the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of His love. I think it's important that this story of God's amazing love breaks into the lowest place, right? I mean, He gives us this picture of a marriage of God's prophet and a prostitute so that we don't church up God's love, right? I mean, we have this real tendency to think that that God can take care of small things like impatience and to think that he has problems forgiving big things like adultery, right? What this is saying from the outset is that, that God delights to forgive sin. So as this love story begins to unfold, he wants us to come face to face with his mercy. So let's begin to take this story and apply it to the places where we live. The first thing that we can see in these verses is that that God has pledged himself and his love to us. Judd Wilhite says this. So for the first time in the Old Testament, the marriage metaphor is explicitly introduced And then viscerally demonstrated. God makes it clear this metaphor was not just a figure of speech. A poetic comparison forged in a precious moment. Hosea's marriage to Gomer is now a lived out flesh and blood story of God's journey with his people. So God gives us the picture of marriage to let us know that gospel love has a pulse. Right? His love is not just sentimentality. It is a love that comes to his people at their worst. So he is committed to us with this passionate plea. Relationship with God is not primarily defined by rules in the book of Hosea. It's defined by his romance, by his obsession with his people and the lengths that he will go to save them. 
God wants us to come face to face with his love. Marriage is a covenant. It is an unbreakable promise. And God is saying, this is how I feel about my people. And it comes to us right where we live. Right? It doesn't come when we have it all together. The love story of Hosea and Gomer, they come, it comes right at the lowest point. It comes when you feel the most defiled, when you feel the most disgusted with yourself. That's when the love of God comes looking for you. So the good news of the book of Hosea is that he loves us despite us. He loves us without reason. He loves us without cause. His love for us is relentless. His love never gives up. His love never fails. His love will never leave us. His love will never forsake us. His love is not dependent on us. His love for us will never fail. He loves us while we are self-destructing. He loves us while we are sinners and while we are sinning. So this is good news for those of you that are finding trouble, breaking free from patterns of sin. He loves you while you are sinning. His love never gives up. His love never abandons you. And it is his love that is the only thing that can free you. And that's what comes into view in the book of Hosea. He loves us. Without limits. There are no qualifications for his love. He loves broken people. He loves addicted people. He loves religious people that are afraid to let their guard down because they're ashamed of who they are. He loves people who are defiled. He loves people that are dirty. He loves pastors and he loves prostitutes and he loves everybody in between. His love comes without qualification. And that's the love that we come into contact with in the book of Hosea. The truth for everyone in this room, regardless if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ or not, he has never not loved you. He has loved you from eternity past. He has a divine obsession with you and he wants to reveal his love to you this morning. That is the truth of the gospel. There has never been a moment as long as you have had breath in your lungs, that you have not experienced the love of God. That is an amazing truth for us. And for me, as a pastor, I mean, I want to let you in on something. I love to preach about God's grace, but I don't like to need it very much, if I'm honest with you, right? It's easy to stand up here and talk about his love for you. It's harder for me to receive it for me, right? So I'm right in the same boat with everyone in this room. But what the book of Hosea does is say, you don't have to pretend, right? God has already revealed us to be Gomer in this story. We have all been wayward we all have run away. We all have our sins. Even, even if you think they're just little kid sins where you didn't share your Legos with your brother or sister, right? All of those kinds of things. He loves his people. His love will never give up. His love will never fail. But his love is not passive. He loves us enough to warn us, 
right? And so this is where the tension of this passage, and I've wrestled with this for weeks, and what's come about is beautiful. Gospel love is also exclusive. God wants all of us. He wants all of our hearts. And if we can kind of understand what's going on in these verses, it will change the way that you read your Bible, right? Because no matter which way you look at Hosea chapter 1, there is a decided tone of judgment that appears, right? So how do we reconcile this wonderful picture of love that doesn't give up and these warnings of judgment? Like, I got to be honest with you. Yeah, like when I was a little kid, like I remember being eight years old and I remember like being in the back of a church that's like this. And I remember like being absolutely terrified. I mean, I would go home and sit in the back seat and just shake, right? I mean, the pastor began with hell and he ended with hell. And I think probably everything in between was like some version of fire and brimstone. And, you know, I mean, at that point, I mean, as an eight-year-old kid, I was like, what in the world is going on, right? And then they would show like these rapture movies, right? You've probably seen at least heard of them, right? And so like every time that my parents would go to the grocery store, you know, I'd be afraid that I got left behind. So that was kind of my view of Christianity. Um, and, and so here's the deal. I'm not here to minimize judgment. Judgment is real. It is certain. But most of the time by the people of God, it is misunderstood and it is misapplied. So let's learn a little bit about the way the mercy of God meets the judgment of God. Derek Kidner says this. He says, as he's commentating on chapter 1, he says, It needs to be said as well that oracles like these are shouts of warning, not irrevocable sentences. So I want you to think with me out loud. If God wanted to zap these people, why warn them? Right? I mean, he is giving the most passionate pleas of love. He's visibly demonstrating his love to the people through the relationship of Hosea and Gomer. It's not because he wants to crush them. It's because he wants to deliver them. So think about this with me for a moment. The warnings that you encounter in Scripture, and they are on every page. They are not an indication that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. They are an invitation that God is saying with the loudest possible voice, I want all of you. So judgment is meant to be something that pulls us back in. What God is saying through the book of Hosea and saying on every page of Scripture is that you are made for something so much better than this, right? I mean, oftentimes God doesn't even have to actively judge us, right? I mean, he can just let us experience the fruit of our bad decisions. And that's exactly what's taking place in the book of Hosea. All of their political maneuvering, all of the things that they'd been doing on the side had begun to catch up with them, and it was going to lead them to a place of exile. That's exactly what's going on in the book of Hosea. So more than God trying to scare us into his kingdom, he's trying to say that you're made for something so much better, and I want you to come home. I want all of your heart, and I want to have a relationship with you. That's how we're supposed to view judgment in Scripture as the people of God. So even at... Even in chapter 1, we see in the tension of this unfinished story, 
we have a sense of the end from the beginning. Hosea's name in Hebrew means salvation. It's the same root word that we get the, the name of Jesus from. See, although judgment is view, salvation is never far behind in Scripture. So we don't want to read one without the other. Everywhere you see judgment, mercy is on the way. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. I want you to think about that word, one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So if you have been around your Bible for any period of time, you will recognize the language, sand of the seashore. That is God's promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That promise is not in jeopardy because the people of God are wandering. It's not in jeopardy because they're wayward. Then you see this identity. Like there's this promise where these children are named these judgmental names. But he says, he said, there's going to come a point where you are not my people are going to have this identity shift and you are going to be called children of the living God. So how does that shift happen, right? So verse 11 brings into view, it says that, that Judah, who is the southern kingdom of Israel, and the people of Israel, which are the northern ten tribes. See, at this time, they were a divided kingdom. He says, there's going to be a day that's going to come, and you're all going to come together under one head. Who do you think that one head is? It's Jesus, right? There is someone greater than Hosea, whose name also means salvation, that is going to come on the scene. This is how judgment and mercy can be on the same page. Because the God of the universe took on flesh to save his bride, just like Hosea, but instead of just living with her, he laid down his life for his bride. That's the good news of the gospel. And then what what we receive is what we never knew that we were looking for. This deep, satisfying relationship with God himself. And that's what I want to stress this morning as we close. Like, relationship with God is not primarily about trying to keep a list of rules. It's primarily about having a relationship with the living God. And the mercy that is extended in this story is extended to all of us because everyone in this room on some level this week has exchanged the glory of God for created things, right? And so as we come face to face with this story, and as we're going to take communion in just a few minutes, it's a chance for us to turn away from those things that don't satisfy us and to come home to what we were created for. That's why Hosea 1 is in the Bible. So that we see judgment and mercy meet in the person of Jesus. That we personally experience salvation and we personally experience satisfaction. So what is it that distracts you here this morning? 
What is it that keeps you from experiencing that kind of love? That's where God wants to meet you this morning. No shame, no condemnation. This is just an invitation to come home because he loves you. Because you were made for something so much better than this. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I don't mean pray a prayer, right? Because I want to be really clear, that doesn't save you, okay? Maybe some of you think that. The only way that you're ever saved is an ongoing response to Jesus of repentance and faith, right? It doesn't matter if you just have some magical incantation, right? This is an invitation from God to a living, breathing, passionate relationship with God himself. So this morning, if you have never experienced that kind of love, I would invite you to look at the mercy of the cross. Look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus who laid down his life so that you don't have to have a shell of religious formalism, but you can have a relationship with the living God. That's the invitation for us all here this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that it never gives up on us, that it never fails us. Thank you that it meets us at our lowest. I pray that right now that we would personally experience your love. I pray that we would be encouraged as we see more and more of your mercy. I pray that specifically that you would send the Spirit right now to, to bring assurance. I pray that you would begin to burn away the dross um, where we're just going through the motions. And I pray that we would come face to face with your love and that it would change us. In Jesus' name, amen.